have loved getting to worship with you this morning. Good morning, Fellowship Highcrest. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. Um, my name is Jill Rice. I am the director of ministries here. Um, and if you've been around a while, you've probably heard me say that I really like Batman. Um, Batman is probably my favorite comic book hero. Um, I really just love all of his stories and his backstories. So, but my favorite like Batman movie series is the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and inside that trilogy, my favorite movie is the Dark Knight. Um, there's so many layers and complexion in it. And if you're unfamiliar, I'll, I'll share a little bit about it with you. See, the Joker, he spends the whole movie forcing people into making really horrible decisions. Um, it gives them just like this sucker's life and death choices where nothing is going to be good out of the outcome of it. And so while the Joker is going around blowing stuff up and kidnapping people and extorting people, we have the city attorney, district attorney, Harvey Dent. And he's trying to bring down the mob. And he's going after their money source to do it. And so... Um, as you can imagine, that makes the mob really unhappy, and they decide to team up with the Joker. And so the Joker eventually ends up kidnapping Dent and his girlfriend. And he separates them out, and he gives the Batman this impossible decision where he has to choose which one of them he's going to save. And Batman chooses the girlfriend. He chooses Rachel, but uh, the Joker tricks him, and he ends up getting to Harvey first. And Harvey is, he barely saves Harvey Dent. Um, Harvey's incredibly injured in the process and um, his missing part of his face. So you can kind of see where that's going if you know anything about Batman. Um, but in the process, Rachel also dies. And so this good guy, Harvey Dent, is in the hospital. The Joker visits him and he kind of starts speaking into his, his ear. Um, and Dent comes away in this place where he gives up hope. He says, there's no way that good can prevail. He says, it's all just up to chance. I'm just going to leave it up to chance from here on out. It didn't matter how hard I worked to see good happen and to see evil be put down. Look at all these people that died. Look, I lost my girlfriend. And so he starts this kind of murder spree where he starts flipping a coin, deciding, you know, if it's if it lands on heads and you get to live, and if it lands on tails, you get to die. And um, he starts going through the city this way. He ends up um, capturing Commissioner Gordon's family and kidnapping them. And it ends with Commissioner Gordon's family and Harvey Dent and Batman. And Batman gets to save Commissioner Gordon's family by tackling Dent off this building, and they fall down, and Dent ends up dying. And Commissioner Gordon and Batman have this conversation because, see, none of the city knows that Harvey Dent has changed. They have no idea that he's fallen from the good district attorney that's going to save the city, that's the face of goodness for Gotham, to this murderer and this kidnapper. And they decide that the city can't handle the truth, that they can't know the truth about Dent, that Dent needs to die the hero. And so they decide that Bath Batman is going to take the fall for Dent's death and for the murders that he commits. And as Batman is fleeing, before the hunt for him begins, Gordon says this. He says, he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him because he can take it. 
See, as, as people, we all have a little bit of Gotham in us. We'd like to think that we're just good people trying to make it to the next day, right? We're all just good people trying to make it to the next day when the truth is we're all a little corrupt, right? We're all self-seeking. We find it hard to face this truth about who we are, the truth of our character. See, in reality, we do not deserve a king like no other, but we need a king like no other. We deserve a king like Herod, but God sends us his son Jesus instead. Today, we're going to examine the little bit of Herod that lives in all of us and the beauty and the undeserving grace and mercy that Jesus extends to each of us, right? So the king that we deserve, Herod, I mean, Batman, because he's dark and he's mysterious, he can be painted as the villain at the end of the dark night, not because he did all the terrible things, but because Gotham couldn't face the reality of their own evil. See, there's a scene earlier in the movie where the, the citizens of Gotham, they're trying to escape Gotham, they're trying to escape the Joker blowing more stuff up, and these two fairies launch out from the island into the river and into the bay, and one of the, one of the fairies has civilians on it, and the other fairy has Gotham's criminals on it. And they're trying to get the criminals off the island before they get loose and cause more destruction. But the Joker has rigged both of the ships with bombs. And he gives the ship's captains captains the detonator to the other ship. So the civilians have the detonator to the criminal ship, and the criminals have the detonator to the civilian ship. And he tells them, if one of you will blow up the other ship, the the ship that that chooses to blow up the other ship will survive the night. But if you don't, I'm going to blow up both ships, and you have to decide by midnight. And so there's this intense scene of, should we do it? Should we not? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is there a justification here? And the civilian ship decides to put it to a vote, and they they tally up the votes pretty quickly, and it comes back pretty overwhelmingly that the criminals don't deserve to live. But then it comes to the reality that someone's going to have to detonate their ship, and they stall out. They, they have a trouble going through with their decision. And then on the criminal ship, you see this officer that's in charge of the ship, that's in charge of the criminals, and he's standing there, and he's like, I, I want to do it, but I don't think I can do it. And you can see that he's struggling with it. And this criminal comes up to him, and he says, you're not a murderer. You don't know what it's like to take someone's life. You don't know how to do it. He says, he convinces him to give him the detonator. The criminal convinces the officer to give him the detonator, and he says, I'll do what you should have done 10 minutes ago. And he takes the detonator, and he chunks it out the window into the bay. We see the underside of humanity when our hands are forced. Of course I'm not a killer. I would never do that. Unless I'm put in a situation We lie to ourselves thinking, I'm not as bad as the mob. I'm not the joker. He's crazy. When we learn that Herod commits the small genocide in this town of Bethlehem, killing about a dozen boys, we're appalled by that. And we should be. Babies, children's lives are lost for someone to maintain power and a position of power. It should upset us. 
And according to historians, what we know about Herod is this would have been a minor blip on the radar in all of the atrocities that he committed in his lifetime. It's easy to look at a character like Herod and a historical person like Herod and say, I'm not that person. I wouldn't do that. Herod would have known the scriptures well enough to know that there was a promised king of the Jews. He would have known that this promised king of the Jews was promised to be a prince of peace, to restore justice and to bring hope in a time and a land that desperately needed it. Herod also knew that if this boy was to really become king, he'd probably lose his life. He'd lose his power, he'd lose his comfort and control and influence, he'd lose everything. It wouldn't be a peaceful transfer of power. Herod couldn't see his need or his people's need for the promised king of the Jews. All he could see is what he was going to lose. So he rejected the one true king. We do this in our own lives when we're confronted with Jesus. Surrendering my life to his reign and his rule means that things are going to change. What if I lose my job? What if I have to change jobs? What if I have to give up my addiction? What if I have to give up my safety or control of a situation or my comfort? What if God asked me to do something that People aren't going to understand. I'm going to lose my good name. I'm going to, what will my friends think of me? I'm not a killer, but what about my house and my car? Maybe you're already a believer. Maybe you've already committed your life to following God and you're thinking, I'm safe. That's a good talk, Jill, but I've already committed down this path. I know I'm not Herod. I felt that way at times too. Let me tell you something that happened a couple of months ago. See, Jay and I, we were, we were in therapy, and our, our therapist asked us, what is some goals that you want to set for the next year, for 2023, that would make your, your relationship in a place in December that you look back and you say, man, we're really glad we did that. I said, I know what it is, all right? I said, I have always wanted us to have a consistent time in the scriptures and praying together. We've done it off and on throughout our relationship, but it's never been consistent like that day-to-day thing. And I, I lamented in the session. I said, it always feels like I'm the one that has to remind or I'm the one that has to bring it up and I'm the one that has to push us to do it. I don't want to be alone in it. So we worked out a plan and we committed to doing it. And it had like... Both had responsibility in it. And you know what happened? A few weeks in, I discovered I was as much the problem. (laughs) I was as much the problem in being consistent in something that I desperately wanted. See, I would get tired at the end of the day. I would have a bad day at work. I would have something else that I just wanted to do instead. Right? Uh Uh-oh. I couldn't blame Jay anymore. This was my thing now, right? This was as much my problem. I had a place in my life that I wanted to control, and I wanted to do it on my terms, not God's terms. Yuck, right? Jesus tells us this in Luke 9, 23. He says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross when? 
Man, that's a hard one. It's true though, right? We have to surrender our Herod hearts daily because we deserve a king like Herod, but we need a king like Jesus, right? See, Batman was the the hero that Gotham needed. He would take the fall for Harvey Dent's death and his murders until things were made right in Gotham again, until justice prevailed. But how could any good come of this? What was gonna happen to Batman? At the end of the dark night, his future looks really bleak. We're left in this unsure and what's next kind of place. And Matthew's readers, they would have felt a similar kind of way with the events around Jesus' birth. With the events of Herod deciding that he's going to kill all of the babies in Bethlehem that are boys under the age of two years old. And Matthew reminds us of Jeremiah's words. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they were dead. So we've got to understand some background to understand what Matthew's doing here. He's reminding them of what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites on their way to exile over 400 years ago from what he's talking. And Ramah, Ramah was where the Israelites would have stopped on their way out of Jerusalem and been separated from their families, from their friends, from their communities. They would have been torn apart before they continued their march on out. This was a place of great sorrow and sadness, right? Jeremiah says that Rachel weeps over this. We gotta know who Rachel is. See, Rachel wasn't Jeremiah's contemporary, right? She was one of Jacob's wives. Before Israel is established and Jacob is having children, Rachel is one of his wives and she's the one that is barren. She's the one that can't have any children and it's what she desperately wants. It's what Jacob desperately wants. And she finally has two children, two sons. They go on to to give some of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel that will become the nation of Israel. After Rachel gives birth, she becomes this figure person, this mother figure for all of Israel. And so when they're moving out of exile, or they're moving out of Israel into exile, the Israelites are saying it's like Rachel has lost the children that she desperately wanted. But see, the Israelites were going into exile because they had rejected God and pursued their own way of life, life on their terms. The weeping is for the loss of life and it's for the rejection of God. See, God makes room for us to mourn the consequences of our sins and of the sins of those around us. The reason, there is a reason to weep, and God meets us in that space. See, I have friends that will say to me, Jill, I don't don't know that I can believe in a God that's good and loving when there's so much evil around me, when I have to watch my friends go through stuff and my family go through stuff, and I just don't get it. Why? Why? When we look at the scriptures, we see a God that meets us in that space and mourns over it too. He says it's not the way it's supposed to be. And while Rachel mourns for the loss, while we mourn for our losses, God can actually do something about it. And he does. He promises his son Jesus, and then he sends him to us. 
See, in the New Testament, when we see a quote from the Old Testament and the scriptures, it pulls the full meaning of that passage with it. The author or the speaker would have been saying, hey, remember that whole passage in Jeremiah. And when we look at Jeremiah 31 and 15, it says, yeah, Rachel wept. But then it says this in verse 16. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again in their own land. And then it says this a little bit further down in, the, in verse 33. It says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. With this one quote from Jeremiah, Matthews reminds his readers that God provides a way in the face of all being lost. This passage was one of mourning and of hope. When God's people were confronted with the king that they deserved, God gave them the king that they needed. A king that comforts and a king that redeems. The king would take everything that was meant for evil rebellion and destruction and redeem it. He would take the hearts and the souls that were dead and breathe life into them again. He does not leave us in our sin. He does not leave us in our suffering. He does not leave us in our disobedience. It was available, like, when we couldn't choose to follow him, we couldn't choose to follow God, he made a way for us. And this is the gospel. It was available for Herod, and it's available for you today too. Nothing you have ever done or ever will do is going to make God love you any less. And nothing you have done or ever will do is going to make God love you any more. Our choice is to accept this love or reject it. When we accept the reign and the rule of the good king who brings healing and life, it means that we're rejecting our own rule on our lives, our own dominion on our lives, and we're giving it to him, and he's going to take care of the rest. Listen to what he says later in Matthew. He says this. He says, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. Friends, some of you are here today and you're carrying a burden you were never meant to carry in a way that you were never meant to carry it. You're never gonna do enough to fix the circumstances that are in your life. It wasn't yours to fix. You're never gonna do enough to earn God's love in your life. It doesn't work that way. It's not your fight. God gives us 
everything that we need in his son Jesus. And we deserved a king like Herod. But we needed a king like Jesus. All we have to do is say, God, I lay it at your feet. I lay my life at your feet. I don't know how it's gonna work out. I don't know what's gonna be on the other side. And the truth is, I don't know it anyway. But I give my life to you and I trust you with it because I know you're good. I know you're loving. I know you're full of mercy. And John, it says the devil comes to kill and still and destroy, but you come that you give us life and you give it to the fullest, abundantly, more than we could ever imagine. That's the promise of the good king, the king that we need. I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a moment. And if it's your first time praying this prayer of surrender to the good king, then I invite you to let us know. We wanna celebrate with you and we wanna walk alongside you as you take your next steps in faith. You can do that by texting the word CONNECT to 785-432-4544. You can drop it in the chats if you're watching with us live online, or you can step by the connections table on your way out of service and let us know because we wanna celebrate with you. We wanna help you connect with your next step. Pray with me. Father, we come to you right now. We say, God, we deserved a king like Herod. We deserve the circumstances of our lives. We're broken people that wanna do it our way with our control and our comfort. But God, we recognize it doesn't work. It leaves us broken, it leaves us feeling empty, it feel, leaves us feeling lost, wanting more. Father, we come to you and we lay our lives at your feet and we say we give it all to you. We give it over to you. We give it over to the good king to reign and rule over our lives, to bring peace, to restore us, to bring life to things that were dead. God, we wanna pursue you with our whole lives. We give it all to you today. In your name I pray, amen.